0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Breaking Down the Doors. This is a special National Signing Day edition, or I guess technically be first day of early national signing period. National Signing Day sounds better. Uh, I'm Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt beat reporter with The Tennessean. I'm here with Gentry Estes, columnist at The Tennessean. We went to the Vanderbilt press conference to follow up Signing Day, have a few reactions to that, want to go over the class a little bit, We're going to talk about the quarterbacks, because that's easily, I think, the biggest storyline out of today's signing class for Vanderbilt. We're going to talk a little bit about who Derricky Wright is, because you'll need to know that name in the future if you're a Commodores fan, and why should we feel better about 2020, or maybe why does Derek Mason feel better about 2020? I've got a theory that's about four or five years back from that, Um, but we'll talk about that to finish up the podcast. First off, the news of the day, 15 signees were uh, brought in for Vanderbilt's class. 14 of the 15 were three-star signees, if you've listened to this podcast before. You've heard me mention that uh, during Derek Mason's tenure, it's about 84% or three stars. So this is basically a class that has looked like any any other class. They're ranked around 50th, 52 in the country, which is right at around the average of Derek Mason's classes. He, he'll sign about two more in February. Donovan Kaufman would be the best of those two. He's a safety, also a three-star guy. Um, we'll see if they get him. There'll be a few other schools after him. But 15 signees, pretty much a three-star class, and uh, and quarterbacks were the most notable. Gentry, three quarterbacks out of 15 guys. When a team signs three quarterbacks out of 15 signees, what does it tell you about that position?
1: Yeah, it says uh, it says what I think we all knew, which was they they needed something else there. Uh, that whatever whatever might return from last season is going to be irrelevant in my opinion in terms of where they go moving forward. I think the starter for next season was among those three. Uh, you had a junior college guy, and and you don't often sign a junior college quarterback unless there is a pretty sincere expectation that he will compete for the starting job. So I think that will be the case. And also um, – you know, to hear Derek Mason talk about uh, the two the two high school quarterbacks that uh, that they're bringing in, including an early enrollee and another guy who could be classified as more of a dual threat type, he seemed pretty excited about either one and what they could possibly bring to uh, an offense that quote-unquote, was going to have some changes.
0: Uh, Jeremy Musa is the junior college transfer. He was at the University of Hawaii for one year, did not play there. Played at junior college for one year in California, put up a a whole lot of big numbers. I'm going to take a guess, just just looking at some video of him, I think he looks a lot like maybe some of the other Hawaii quarterbacks that we've seen in the past. I know he just spent one year there, but he kind of fits into that system. Got a quick trigger, can throw the ball well, pretty accurate. We'll see how he transitions to the SEC. That's kind of a coin flip. Usually, when you bring in junior college quarterbacks, but Jeremy Musa, he will, I suspect, will compete immediately. Like uh, like you said, Gentry, he he does have an injury that he finished up the year with, so he's going to be limited. I think early in spring practice, they they hope to get him back by the end of spring practice, and that'll get uh, give you your best look at Jeremy Musa. Ken Seals is the early enrollee. Out of Texas, he's a three star, been a high three star, low four star guy by most of the um, recruiting uh, outlets. Good signee, one of their better signees of this bunch. Was very productive, through for a, uh, I don't know miles and miles of yards at uh, at Weatherford High School in Texas. Kind of a, I mean, he's listed as a pro style guy, but he's he can run a little bit too. He will as an early enrollee. He'll be here in spring practice. And I thought it was interesting that Derek Mason said he'll get it we'll see what he is and he'll get a head start on the competition that was that was the way he put it well head start on the competition sounds like he's competing to start or at least competing to contribute and it also
1: sounds like he's competing with people who have not been on the team until this season
0: that's right yeah and by the way the ones that are coming back we don't really know now there's three possibilities there's Mo Hassan who set out the last five games of the season with a concussion. I think that right away puts him at risk to uh, return or not. Uh, Deuce Wallace will be a fifth-year senior. He played quite a bit this year, mostly in a backup role. He didn't really show the coaches anything that said, hey, I'm the starter next season. But if he returns for a senior year, he'll at least be given a chance, I think. But but they knew they needed to upgrade. Alan Walters is the last one, and I, I don't I don't know what his long-term future is with this team. Uh, we'll wait and Uh, We'll probably get more clarity on that when we get into January. He could certainly consider a transfer, but we'll wait and see. So they signed the three quarterbacks. By the way, the third one is Mike Wright. Uh, As Gentry mentioned, he's a dual threat guy. Guy that can, I mean, he's he's a dual threat guy, so he can run. And that maybe would give them another element uh, to what they want to do offensively. And what do they want to do offensively? Derek Mason today teased at what he had teased at a couple, three times late in the season, which was, well, we're, we're, we're going to do something different with our offense. We know how we want to change it, and we're going to change it. And then when asked a follow-up question, well, how is it going to change? Really, he <laughs> didn't really have a, an answer. Uh, Gentry, why, why, why the cloak and dagger, you think, with Derek Mason not divulging what's going to change with this offense?
1: Well, it was funny because he brought it up. And, and, you know, we had our, we were at, just to set the scene here, they were, uh, what was the name of the place? It was uh, one of the the places off Broadway.
0: Downtown Honky Talk. Is it? No. Honky Talk Central. Honky Talk Central. Thank you. They
1: they did a live show uh, this morning on the Vanderbilt, off the Vanderbilt Twitter feed and and through social media channels. So uh, Derek Mason sitting by a balcony at Honky Talk Central overlooking Broadway. Is this happening? you know and then he has a, a media availability real quick talking to some of the reporters in attendance adam and i included and in the first minute of this setting he says uh, i'm yeah, the future's bright for when you're talking about what we're going to do offensively and we're going to change some things okay uh, so he get got asked about well, what are you going to change or and he said i don't you know don't want to talk about that today today's more for the signees and it's like well Okay, but you brought it up. You know, I just, right. I just thought it was it was strange that we've heard him several times now make reference to that. Things are going to change offensively, and I. Okay, I mean, we we don't have any more details because he hasn't given any. And to this point, as we record this podcast on National Signing Day, they haven't made any staff changes. It's hard to imagine a this overwhelmingly different offense with the same coaching staff.
0: There's a philosophy in coaching that's also in I mean in business, it's in our industry, it's everywhere, but especially in coaching, the idea of undersell and overdeliver. You know, I'll do my best, we'll kind of see. And then when you perform really well and you show people something they didn't expect, it's it's this overwhelming sense of accomplishment. Derek Mason, I would argue, at times in settings like like what you just described oversells and is at risk of under delivering because when you say, "Man, we're going to change things. We got it figured out." Well, you allow people to put whatever they want onto that's right.
1: that phrase, and, and it may not be really
0: what's happening. And, and, and to, now to his, I don't know if his defense, but sometimes when you ha- when you have a coach long enough, you start to hear the same lines over and over. With Derek Mason, I think internally he looks at situations where he has survived in the past His and he's, you know, got contract extensions and turned around the team enough to, to get those contract extensions. What has worked in the past, I think he's tried to do that again. And 2014, he said for the last two or three weeks of the season and into the offseason, I've got it figured out. I know what I'm going to do. It's going to work. I'll tell you when we get there. And then he fired both of his coordinators. I don't think he's going to fire both of his coordinators here, but we'll see. He fired both. He named himself defensive coordinator that year. And, you know, things got better after that. I think he he leans on the the strategy of, well, I'm going to tease these people. You can do that early on in your tenure and get away with it. When you tease people ten times and deliver three times, so to speak, People get a little annoyed by. It. Well, and when you go three and nine, and
1: let's be honest, barely keep your job over a lot of people who didn't want you to keep it in your fan base. Yeah, don't do that. It's, it's it's time to. And I know a lot of coaches are talking about signing day, and a lot of times when the coaching changes, wait until after signing day. Once once the kids have signed, a lot of that is coaches leaving for other jobs. Right, that tends to happen then. But you don't often see a coach start making firings on his staff after signing day that's different those are two totally different things and coaches that usually make changes on their staff they do that a couple of days after the last game well vanderbilt has already played their last game they're not in a bowl game so if he comes out and starts firing coaches now now i think there's a reasonable gripe among recruits go well
0: you could have done that a few weeks ago it's uh, all, it's also interesting too and I, I think you i think you asked this question at the presser of looking forward and optimism, and you've, you've written a column about this on com about why be optimistic, looking forward. A lot of the questions that you had and that we had about optimism, he seemed to point it at the the problem being with the players. Jimmies
1: and Joes, not X's and O's. That's right. That's how it
0: sounded. And he did that a lot late in the season, you know. I forget how he would say it, but, uh, you know, Players make schemes come alive. That's one of the uh, Masonism. We all have schemes, but the, the players are what make it work. And so, there's a little bit of that today, where he was saying, "Hey, we got the right ideas. We're going to tweak them a little bit, but we have better players now because today we signed better players." Now, that is a that's a that's a tough road to hoe because you're you're talking about a whole lot of three star freshmen that you're bringing in to sell that as this talent will fix. This upcoming season. That's not usually the way it works. It, it doesn't fix the immediate next season.
1: No, and and as I wrote, I think I, I'm with recruiting rankings. You never really know. I mean, this this class is about where Vanderbilt's used to being. I think any better or any worse, but you're never going to see the day where the recruiting rankings are going to be. Uh, uh, primary source of optimism for vanderbilt fans it's just never going to happen
0: right it's a three star class it always almost always has been yeah so i mean as
1: what i wrote i i think this is a this is a program and a fan base that needs a reason to believe right now you know other schools usually get that excitement that infusion of excitement through a coaching change and if not a head coaching change you see a scenario like uh, Will Muschamp hiring Mike Bobo as offensive coordinator at South Carolina. Chad Morris being hired as offensive coordinator at Auburn. You know, so you, you see th- there's there's reason for people to believe something's going to change, that there's an infusion of excitement over those kind of staff changes. Vanderbilt hasn't made any staff changes. The recruiting classes, uh, this, this recruiting class could be great. We don't know. I think it's averaged by Vanderbilt standards. I don't think it's a reason to, to, to feel any better or any worse about things right now. So why would you feel better? I mean, we've talked about that already on another podcast when you looked at the sports that were kind of going ascending and descending. When you see what they lost offensively at some of the skill positions and some of these guys like Vaughn and Paintney and uh, Lipscomb, who who replaces them? And right now I know defensively they should be better, but – you at this stage, you you, you want a reason why why is this team going to be any better? And I just don't know if we've heard the one.
0: And I think it's two different conversations of um, why should we as media and also as fans listening, why should we be optimistic about twenty twenty? I think that's a different conversation than why is Derek Mason and his coaching staff optimistic? Here's my theory. Let me, Gentry, you've been here for this year. Let me take you back early in my tenure covering Vanderbilt. The 2014 season, I think Vandy was 3-9 and that year also, did not win an SEC game. Season looked, uh, a lot of quarterback problems. There were just a lot of similar issues, 2014 to 2019. Derek Mason was kind of on the hot seat already finishing up that year. I um, mean, going in, into 2015, and here's what happened in 2015. He looked at it and said, "I've got, I've got some pieces on defense. I have experience returning. People don't know that my defense is going to be good, but I can see it in flashes. And I think a year of growing this defense, I think it can be pretty good. If I can just get quarterback figured out, I can build up enough hope to keep my job. So in 2015." A lot of that, those younger players, unproven players, from his first season, 2014, came back in 2015. They were very good defensively that year. They were good in 2015 and sixteen. Very good defensively in 2015, one of the best defenses in the SEC. And second half of the season, they pulled the red shirt off of Kyle Shermer, who was a signee in 2015. So with him on the hot seat and needing to show that he could turn things around, his, def- his young defense b- got good and he found it a long-term answer at quarterback this year he will return his entire defense they were not good but there's pieces you could pick out of that if you want to be optimistic whole defense will come back next season and he signed three quarterbacks now the closest to a Kyle Shermer may be Ken seals because he's a, he's a he's a good quality signee and he's coming in as a freshman. He will get a chance to to maybe play immediately because he'll be here in the spring. I think, for better or worse, right or wrong, I think Derrick Mason looks at 2020 and says, this is a repeat of 2015. I can make this into a good defense. I get all these guys back. And I've got some young quarterbacks options. If I can figure out quarterback, even if they're not good. Kyle Shermer was not really good at the end of his first season, but you could tell he was going to be. And I think Derek Mason sees that this season, like that season. I can show I I have a good defense for the future. I show I have a quarterback for the future. I can win this way. And that prolonged his tenure. They went to a bowl the next year with a better version of all those elements. I think that's what he sees in this year. If he did it once, why not do it again? Now, you know, it's different, though, going into your second season and your, what is this, seventh 14, 15, 16, 17, well, let's, 18, let's, 19, 20.
1: Woo, yep, seventh. Let's woo. also point out that the odds of most three star signee quarterbacks being NFL caliber good not, doesn't always work out that That's
0: way. That's right. And Shermer was a four star guy, and he played half of that season, and it took him another year before you really started to see a lot of it. But you know the twenty fifteen class. Josh Smith was in there. He developed into a pretty good linebacker by the end of his career. Donovan Sheffield was in there. He was a in the twenty fifteen class. He ended up being a like a three year starter. Dari Odangbo was a good player. Jordan Griffin was a good player. Justin School was a offensive tackle that's in the NFL now. I, I don't think I don't think Derek Mason is saying twenty fifteen and twenty twenty are the same year, but I think he's saying I've done this before. And made it work, and kind of revived things. You think back to his um, his uh, quotes that he was ripped for late in the season, which you know Vanderbilt football goes in cycles. I think that's how he's seeing this. I've, I'm restarting the cycle. I've got to get this thing back to good, and figuring out quarterback is really the absolute way that he's going to get this back to being a competitive program. Uh, another way to do that is signing impact players on the other side of the ball. Uh, Dericky Wright, I mentioned before, if you believe the 24-7 composite ratings, Dericky Wright is the best signee in this class. Now, he's a high three-star. He's a, a, a top 20 in terms of rankings athlete. He's listed as an athlete because in uh, in high school, two different high schools in Alabama, he played quarterback, he played wide receiver, he played safety. I think maybe he was at corner. He projects probably as an outside linebacker at Vanderbilt in their 3-4 scheme, but he also may be at a safety. He was an Alabama commitment back in the summer, which says a lot, and they reportedly looked at him more as a safety. Maybe he turns into that at Vanderbilt. I think maybe he could be that early on. Derek Mason even said DeRicky Wright could be a tight end, could be a wide receiver. He's six-four, two-twenty, 220, so there's a lot of places he could fit. But the fact that they got Dericky Wright... A one-time Alabama commitment and also a one-time Ole Miss commitment Um, kind of shored up their class well enough to get their rankings up to where they usually are. So if you're wondering out of classes, who am I going to see that I'm going to notice sooner than later? I think it's probably DeRickey Wright and probably Ken Seals, the quarterback. I think that's always one of these funny things about signing day is that we're talking about people that are – a lot of them are going to redshirt, not going to play much. Diego LaMonica, uh, tight end, 6'4", 226. He will be a guy that you'll probably see early on, I think, if, if he if he practices well, shows something early on. Vandy loves to use tight ends, and that will continue, although change in the offense. Who knows what they're going to do, this, this pending change in the offense. We'll see how that goes. So, Gentry, this is your first signing day at Vanderbilt. I'm guessing you've bought into the fact that this is usually kind of just a middle of the road. It's not great. It's not terrible. This is kind of what it is every year. It's not. It's not Alabama. It's not Georgia. It's not Tennessee. No, T- tis not. I mean, it's, it's three stars. It's.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I, I. Again, this is one of those things. I, I think if you, if you have a top five class and you're sitting there with eight guys who could be considered five-star prospects on one platform or another, yeah, okay, that's a game-changing class. But I think once you get outside the top 20, maybe the top 25, you don't know. Uh, Every year you see these programs like Wisconsin who have – their recruiting classes, they don't get as, as much attention because they're in a different part of the country and they're just as more attention paid in the South because more prospects tend to come from the South. So there's more people covering recruiting in the South. So more prospects are getting seen, noticed, rated. And, and then yeah, a school like Wisconsin will be in the 30s every year and then they go, you know, they're in the Rose Bowl. or Every year they seem like they're competing for the tie, for you know, getting 10, 11, 12 wins. So you don't know. And I, I think in Vanderbilt's case, there there will be players in this class that that will be impact guys and and impact guys that some of these bigger schools are going to look at later and say, well, gosh, why why did we sleep on him? That's just how it is. But if you're looking for a class that's going to instantly change your program at a at the highest level possible, um, to to take you to a championship contender in one year. Yeah, you probably want to be in the top three or five for that. Uh everybody else though, um, you, you I, I I tend to take a wait and see kind of approach on that. I, I think if you get enough five stars, yeah, okay. That matters. But there isn't a lot of difference right now between I mean, most of the guy pretty much all Vanderbilt's class are three stars. Right. So does that mean they're all the same kind of player? No. I mean, there, there's once she gets to that level, you, you just don't have as much attention being paid to these guys. So some of them are, are going to be better than
0: that. And now it's in the hands of the coaches because, I mean, I mentioned before, Dericky Wright could be any of four or five positions. You have to develop these quarterbacks. Um, that's with, had, the quarterback to
1: me. Yeah. I, as you said, I think that's the headliner for today is they brought in a Juco guy who could help them probably – and two high school players who are, who are different kinds of quarterbacks, but both three-star guys, and between those three, you need a player. You need a player to come in and play right now and help out your offense. And if they don't have that, I don't care how good the defense is and I don't care how much better the offensive line is going to get or who they can get at the skill positions. If they're not any better at quarterback, they're not going to be any better, period. And I think that right there is, is going to decide a lot about this team in the next year.
0: So I hope you've learned something on this podcast. We have not, but we tried our best. <laughs> Three-star is so ambiguous. It's You could you could look That's like a five really, or you could look like a one. I mean, you're right, right. Especially uh, four offensive linemen signed in this class, and all four of those may red shirt because usually I, they do. I've been to a lot of
1: these recruiting events. Uh, I used to work for 24-7 Sports, so I, I've been to some of these combines, and it's like you know a five-star when you see it. Yeah. You see a couple of guys out there, and matter of fact, I went to a combine and saw Rashawn Evans, who now plays for the Titans, and it took me about two minutes to go, all right, who's that? Yeah. Because he's throwing people around, he's rangy, he's bigger than everybody else out there, he looks like about, he looks about 30 years old versus all these 17-year-old kids. You, you know it when you see it, you know the five stars, but there isn't a lot of difference between everybody else and these these are still kids they're still growing they're going to develop differently this could be a good class you don't know i mean there's i think there's reason for alarm if you end up signing like five guys like you have a bunch of defections, and you see that a lot of times with coaching changes where uh, you know the previous staff was doing horribly and everyone knew it, so they didn't get any commitments, and the new staff doesn't have any time. You see that. I think Arkansas is kind of dealing with a class like that right now. And you punt your class when you just don't sign enough guys. But Vanderbilt, you know, I, I think they've got guys that can help them. I think it's it's going to come down to quarterback. I think it's pretty obvious that's where they – they focused and where they needed to focus. Yeah, I thought
0: there was some irony in the fact that Vandy finished 12th, or right now they're 12th of 14 schools in the SEC. The irony in that Derek Mason kept his job. The two schools that behind Vandy in the SEC, Arkansas and Missouri, are behind Vanderbilt because they fired their coaches. So they lost, uh, they lost some signees out of that class. We'll see if those classes shape up more as we close out the early signing period and then get into the late period. In February, Vandy has been not last in the SEC over the last decade. I think this is fourth time. Uh, James Franklin did it twice. This is the second time for Derek Mason, if these standings hold. So that does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to com if you have not already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And drop us a review and a rating. We like five stars, not three stars, uh, for her rating for this podcast. For Gentry Estes, I'm Adam Sparks. We'll see you next time.